We're still on the same lesson we had last week, uh, a superior sacrifice, part three. That's what it should say at the top of your lesson. If you have that, you're good, because we're going to spend a little time looking at the lesson this morning instead of me just teaching. I, I want to go through the lesson and teach that way. Uh, so if you don't have one, get your hand up, and we'll, get, we'll make sure we get you one. Are you doing that, Steve? Okay. Well, Ken's back there. Anybody need a lesson? There's a couple of people here, over here. Uh, if you get that lesson, then keep your hand up until they get to you, okay? And they'll make sure you get that. We're in Hebrews uh, chapter 10. Yeah, chapter 10, right? Oh, I've got my Bible open to chapter 11. That threw me off a little bit. We're in Hebrews chapter 10, and we're talking about this last section of the chapter. I kind of got started in this last week. If you're looking at that lesson, we talked about the exhortation. Uh, there's five different exhortations in what I would call exhortations in the, uh, in, in the book of Hebrews where Paul basically stops and says something to Christians and say, listen, if this doctrine is true, then you need to do thus and thus, thus and so. And this is another one of those points. If this doctrine is true, if there is one sacrifice for sin forever, if Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God, if the tabernacle is done with, the temple is done with, uh, the ceremonies there have all been fulfilled, if that is true, we tend to think then we're golden, right? Uh, I, I, most of you know our church is a, a church that believes in the doctrine of eternal security, once saved, always saved. The problem with that doctrine sometimes is we take it for granted. I'm saved, I'm, I'm never going to lose my salvation, and you, you won't say this. Most Christians, I don't think anybody in my class, anybody, any of you would actually say this, but I think sometimes we, they think this. I, now that I'm saved, I can live any way I want. Well, what you get in the last part of Hebrews chapter 10 you get to verse 26 there, is the concept that, uh, can I say it just simply? No, you can't. No, you can't. And by the way, it's more than no, you can't. It is Paul exhorting them saying, and no, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. Listen, we, get, we got to the place in our society, and I'm not talking about the world system, and I'm not talking about you know, what you see on TV or internet. Or, I'm talking about in churches. We got to the place in churches now where we almost condone any kind of living. Can I tell you something? I know I say this a lot, but I've got to say it because it's not said any much anymore. You can't live any way you want to and ignore God and think God will ignore you as a child of God. Uh, my kids never pulled that off. Well, Dad's, you know, he's getting older. He'll let us do whatever we want to. Hey, pull that, try that in my house. I don't care how old you are. That, that doesn't... No, a good father doesn't allow you to continue that way. And that's what you're going to get here. So look at chapter, uh, you're in chapter 10, look at verse 26. And he makes this concept here, for if we sin willingly, after that we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Again, I talked about last week, some people use these passages to talk to say that you, you can lose your salvation if you continue to sin after you're saved. They do the same thing, by the way, uh, with, the, with, Paul, with uh, John's letter and 1 John. Same idea, they, they talk about that. But a certain, he says not only that, but there's a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Uh, so, and then he's gonna give you an example. So here's what I want you to do. We covered the first page. So put the first page away, go to the page, uh, second page, page 101. I want you to look at the notes because uh, M.R. DeHaan wrote this and I, I, I'm not a disciple of M.R. DeHaan, but I like what he said about this. Every now and then, uh, you know, I find one guy that says it and I'm like, that's, that's exactly right. And you'll note there's some places I've added my little two cents in. Uh, look at, we're talking about, so what's the remedy? If you sin, if you sin after you're saved, by the way, how many of you would agree with me that after you're saved, you, you do continue to sin? You should. <laughs> 
because uh, we do. I, I, I know people every now and then, I've heard people say, you know, there is a point of sinless perfection you can reach after you're saved. Um, I, if there is, I've never met a Christian that went there. I'm not saying, I'm, I'm not going to totally eliminate the concept because the power of the Word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you can, you can sin less and less, amen? And I hope you are. I, I've been saved for 50 years, and I am not at all. My wife will testify to this, and usually I don't want her testimony. But on this, I would have her testify. I am not the same person I was 50 years ago. We've been married 47 years, and I'm not the same guy she married. And by the way, I shouldn't be the same guy she married, right? I should be growing in grace. I should be becoming more like Christ. I haven't attained yet. You know, my hopes of attaining perfection are really slim. When I read, <laughs> when I read Paul's testimony in Romans chapter 7, the apostle Paul didn't make it. In his opinion, he fell way short. Okay, you know, let's just be honest. If Paul fell way short, uh, all of you know that I am far superior to the apostle Paul, right? Okay, you, you didn't have to laugh. You can, just, just a quiet, yeah, yeah, that's true. Would have been fine, but not breaking out in laugh. But thank you for giggling. Uh, so, I, no, I understand that. And I understand there's a struggle for me. But there's still a truth. If I sin, uh, we looked at remedy number one. If you sin after you're saved, what do you do? Real simple, right? First John chapter one is probably one of the easiest places to go to. Right? If we confess our sin, he's faithful, just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all righteousness. That's not what this passage is talking about. Christians who sin, repent of that sin, turn to God and ask him to forgive them of that sin, they're cleansed, right? Biblical truth. No question. By the way, if you, can, if you don't sin after you're saved, why did we have to write 1 John chapter 1 in the first place? Well, it was written to Christians. If we confess our sin, right? So Christians... If you do that, that's not who it's talking about. Everybody in this room has done that probably. After you got saved, something happened, some sin got in your life, and you asked God to forgive you. You may have done that this week. Likely you did. Amen? I did. I'll, I'll admit to it. Uh, I was in uh, faith recovery the other night, and I was talking to a group of men, and I was trying to get them to kind of talk back to me. And the first thing I thought of, well, you had a struggle. This was last Monday morning. I won't tell you what the struggle was, but I told them about what I struggled with. And they all looked at me like, you struggle with something? I love it when they look at you like, the pastor? Really? Yes, 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 yes. And so uh, there was something I, ha I had a little struggle there. Uh, praise the Lord, didn't fall deep into sin. I just thought about stuff, you know, starts here, right? I don't know how you are anymore. It used to be when I first got saved, it was a condemnation. It was the guilt. It was a shame of what I did. That was a big part of what in my life. Now it's more of the shame and condemnation of what I'm thinking about doing. But that's better, right? That's better. Different consequences. Still separation from God. Still breaking the fellowship with me and him. But different consequences. If it's just in my head, that's just on me. If I start putting it in my hands, man... That's a whole different ballgame. So we understand it. So we're on remedy number two. So what about those who don't repent? Uh, look at your notes real quick. God will judge his people. Uh, we started in this, go to that second paragraph. Never before has there been a need for a clear, sound setting forth of the responsibilities of grace. And I read this to you last way, last week, and you, I think you agree with me. The looseness and worldliness of Christians, and I added the laziness and lack of concern among Christ today, Christians today, are the result of one side's unbalanced preaching of grace resulting in a false sense of security. 
if I have a big problem with some mega churches, that would be it. A lot of people think I don't like uh, some of the mega churches in America, some of the TV programs, that sort of thing, because, you know, their music is crazy and, and they dress loosely. Okay, whatever. I, I, no, I don't like that. That's, that's, that's not my style. That's not, what I, that's not how I practice uh, worship. That's fine. But I'm not a, I'm not, I don't condemn them for that. I condemn them for making it like you can live however you want and God's grace is all sufficient and you'll never struggle or you'll never have a problem. You know, uh, Joel Osteen Christianity. I got news for you. That's not biblical. That's not how God treats his children. And so th that's what it's talking about. That's what we're talking about. Keep going down. Go to the part where it's uh, uh, underlined in bold print. Be not deceived. No Christian can indulge. In, and I believe this, by the way. Dehan wrote this, but I agree 100%. No Christian can indulge in known or willful sin and get away with it. While the guilt of sin is forever settled for the believer in heaven, it's nevertheless a fact that he must bear the consequences of neglect and disobedience here on earth. Amen? If you continue in sin, your heavenly Father is going... I don't know a better way to say this. Your heavenly Father is going to do something about it. That, that's just, I, I don't know how to make that any clearer. That, that, that's what this passage is talking about. Drop down to the next paragraph. Uh, what a price. David had found out what a price he had to pay, right? David had to pay the consequences for his sin. Here then is the revelation of the word. When a sinner comes to Christ in true faith and receives him as Lord and Savior, he receives eternal life, right? The very life of God. Believe that? Everybody believe that? If I, if I in faith come to God, put my faith and confidence in what Christ did on the cross, claim that for my salvation, I'm eternally saved. Amen? That's not just a Baptist doctrine. That is a clear Bible doctrine. You have to agree with that. Okay? But being a child of God places me under, under the absolute obligation of obedience to his master. I told you last week to circle that. That's a great statement. I am under the absolute obligation of obedience. To, I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't use those terms very much anymore. In fact, in megachurches, you don't hear that word. I am a servant. Can I use another word? I am a slave of Jesus Christ. And that demands that I be obedient to the one I call my master. You can't call him master and Lord and live like you want. Does that even make sense? Now, look at me. Everybody look this way. Would you agree... That, that concept in the scripture is that he is our master and he is our Lord. Yes or no? Would you also agree then, if he's the master and Lord, I am his servant, his slave, his son? Yes or no? So does it make sense for me then to say, but I can live because he's the master, he's such a good master and a good Lord, I can live any way I want? No. It doesn't, make, it doesn't make logical sense, nor does it make biblical sense. And that's exactly what this passage is talking about. Go, go back to your notes again. I'm, I'm right under that obli absolute obligation of obedience. If you obey, he's rewarded here as well as by and by. Are there blessings for living the life of God, living the life, a, a Christ-like life? Yes or no? Yes. Now, by the way, again, problem with the megachurches, the blessings, oh, I get so tired of this. The blessings are not a great financial life. I would love to tell, listen, I'm going to tell you something. I would love to be, I would love to be that pastor that could tell you, I wish I could tell you this in all honesty. If you live for God, you'll be financially blessed. You'll never have a debt. Your children will obey you and you won't have any problems. 
I, seriously, I would love to preach that. I, I would. I would. If I could, boy, you know, if you just do right, everything will go right. No, things will still go wrong, but God will get me through those things. He will walk beside me. He will give me the strength to endure. He will give me a, testify, a testimony to glorify him in those. By the way, if you never have a problem, how do you glorify God? I, you glorify him in the trial, right? If Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had never been tossed into the fire, they would have still been a testimony for God. But the greatest part of their testimony is when? The greatest part of Daniel's testimony is when? When he got thrown in the lion's den. Are you, you understand what I'm saying? There's no, anyway, I'm going to get carried away. I, I, I said I was not going to preach. I was going to stay with the notes, and now I'm off the notes. Okay, let me go back, all right? Because I, I want you to get this. If he obeys, he's rewarded here and by and by. If he's disobedient, he will be forgiven if he repents and confesses. Amen? Now, look at, let me, let me make another little juncture here. Yes, you can be forgiven and, uh, if you repent and confess. That does not necessarily mean that the consequences will disappear. Now, somebody asked me this last week after the lesson, and they're right. Somebody said, you made it sound like God never makes the consequences disappear. I don't mean to say that. Sometimes he does. I don't know why. Sometimes in God's grace, he chooses when somebody's truly repentant, also not only to forgive them of the sin, but to remove the consequences. That is, not to make the consequences as severe. Why he does that? Because He's forgiven me of a lot of things that I haven't had to suffer consequences for, but I sure should have. Let's just be honest, right? Could you imagine, could you imagine if he punished you for everything you did wrong? Boy, what a miserable life that would be, you know? Uh, yeah, sometimes he does remove the consequences, but not always. There are always, they're always some consequences, so understand that. Uh, uh, presumptuous, now, next line. Uh, la, 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 la. No, if he's disobedient, he'll be forgiven if he repents and confesses. But for those who continue in known, now listen to what I'm saying, known, willful disobedience, God will apply the rod. Let me say that again. Known, willful disobedience. Now I will add to that. If you want to add beside that some notes, I will also say this. Known, willful, and I want to add a couple words. Open and public. If you are looking for the chastisement of God, you get involved in, I know it's wrong, I'm going to do it anyway, I don't care who knows, and I don't care who sees it. Okay. Can I tell you something? You are inviting the chastening hand of God. When you're, when you're publicly known as a Christian, and you publicly, intentionally, with malice, say, I will do what I want, I don't care what God wants, uh, that's a, I know this doesn't sound like grace preaching, but that is a dangerous place to be. You hear me? That is a dangerous place for you to go. Uh, it's the same, I mentioned that last week. Just, it was the same thing for my kids growing up. There's a difference between them saying no to me and saying no, and I'm not going to do it, and you ain't going to make me do it. Oh, well. We just escalated the, the whole conflict now. It's, it just went up a notch or two, right? You understand that's the same thing. You cannot do that. You cannot live like that. I don't care. I know I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. I, I'll, live, I'll do whatever I want. Okay. Let me tell you a couple things. This sin, uh, presumptuous continued disobedience may result in the sin unto death. Now, let me say that again so you understand what I'm saying. 
I believe, and I believe, not only do I believe, I believe the Bible teaches, I'm basing this on, you continue in presumptuous, open sin against God. I'm going to do what I want. There is a possibility God could take you out. I know that's old time preaching. I know you don't hear that anymore, but that's biblical. I'm sorry if you don't like it, but it's true, okay? Uh, look, look, keep reading your notes. The sin and the death is judged by the Lord in, in a variety of ways. Uh, number one, uh, by chasing for the rest of one's life until the day of death. Uh, he, go to Hebrew, you're in chapter 10, go to chapter 12. We'll, uh, we'll study these verses later, but uh, let me just read them to you. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, la, 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 la. let's go to verse 5. All right, uh, Hebrews 12, 5, and, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. Now stop again. Who is he talking to, unsaved or not are saved? Well, yeah, obviously saved people, right? Children of God. Uh, and the children, my son, who's he talking to again? Uh, Christians, okay. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor, re, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, right? He chasteneth and scourgeth every son. Who re, this is by, actually a quote from, uh, I think it's Proverbs chapter 3. Uh, my son despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Right? If you endure chastening, God dealeth you as with sons. For what sons is him whom the father chasteneth not? By the way, when we get to that passage, we're going to talk about something that I think is even more scary than this passage. I'm sinning, and I'm sinning openly, and I'm sinning publicly, and I claim to be a Christian, and there is no chastisement from the Lord. You know what that may mean? You're not a son. You've made, you, you made a profession, but there's no possession. There's no true relationship. It bothers me when people say, I, God's, I've done this and this, and God never did that to me. Ooh, wow. Um, that, that, that's not a good statement, Right? That's exactly what it's saying. In fact, he goes on. Look at the, the, the wording here, verse 8. But if you be without chastisement, where, uh, where of all our partakers... By the way, how many Christians are chastised when they do wrong? You, you just read it. Look at the verse again. How many Christians are chastised if they do wrong and continue to do wrong without repentance? All of them. You say, well, that doesn't happen to me. Really? It ha I, I, I will be the first to say, it happens to me. Very regularly, in fact, okay? All are without, and then he goes on to make it this. Then you're bastards and not sons. You're not truly sons. You say you're son, but you're not really one of them. That's a scare. That doesn't bother you a little bit? It should bother you. So one way, one, and by the way, I believe I have met in my lifetime, and I, and I don't mean once or twice, I've met many people in my lifetime, sometimes in counseling, sometimes just in a regular church service, people who are under the chastisement of God and refuse to change, but they want the circumstances to change. Can I tell you something? That's not going to happen. God's chastening you for a reason. Listen to me. It's not to condemn you. It's to correct you and bring you back to Him. That is good. All of you adults in there, how many of you, how many of you remember when you were a child, your parents chasing you, spanked you, punished you, put you on restriction, and you thought it was bad, but now you realize, you're, now you're old enough, you look back and go, thank God they did. I'd have destroyed myself. Rick, get your hand up real high on this one, Okay. How many of you would say that, right? Yeah, obviously. It's e isn't it easier on this side? Sorry, I had to pick on you, Rick. Uh, we're in the same camp. <laughs> but you understand, it's easy now to see that. Do you think God's a worse father than your parents were? No. 
you continue to do that, there's going to be a price to pay. That's what he's saying. So that chastening, uh, I believe a lot of problems, I, I have to say this, I believe some of the counseling problems I've dealt with could be solved if people would just change their lifestyle. Stop doing that stuff. Really, that's what we teach in faith recovery, you know, get saved and stop doing dumb stuff. You say, no, you teach a lot more than that. No, that's pretty much it. It's discipleship. It's the same thing, you know, same thing we tell you, okay? So by chasing for the rest of one's life until the day of death, and you, some people will, some people, have you ever met somebody that just holds it out and holds it and just keeps going and you think they're never going to change? I have. And I wonder, I'm like, why are you, you're so miserable. I don't understand. You're so miserable. You hate your life. I know, but I'm not doing what you want us to do. It's not what I want. It's what God, anyway, you, you've all been there. So number two, uh, there's, a, there's a concept of actual physical death. You continue, there's a point where you can damage the, t- I, and I believe this is, I, I, I'm putting in a qualification here. I don't know if I can 100% prove, but I believe the qualification is when you begin to do damage to the name and work of God, not just to your own testimony, not to just your own family, as a pastor, if I, can, if I continue in known sin, I think I'm putting myself in danger. And I think a physical danger. Uh, we all know what it says when we talk about, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, about the Lord's Supper, right? And they who do so unworthily. It, there's, I think we take that too light sometimes, too. I, 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 I'm trying to get real straight here. When we pass out the elements for the Lord's Supper, you do understand that when you take that, you, are, you at that point in time should be examining your life. Right? I, I don't know how you do it. I am literally praying, asking God, reveal anything to me that I, that I have not confessed. And by the way, He does. I don't think I've ever taken the Lord's Supper or the Holy Spirit and said, well, what about... Blah, blah, blah. And I've at that moment sitting there. Sometimes the deacons rush me. I'm like, hey, hey, I'm going to need a little more time here. I've got some stuff I've got to get straight. But I think that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the whole point of the Lord's Supper, right? So I'm, I'm examining my life and saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can't live how I want to do. I've got to make sure I'm right with God. And if you continue to do that, if you take that, uh, there is a possibility. That's exactly what the scripture says, that that could bring about death. I like the way it says it in 1 Corinthians, though. Some are, some are asleep. Well, in Baptist church that happens, but that's not what it's talking about. Not that kind of sleep. It's, it's talking about the physical sleep of death, right? And, and, you, and you see that. Um, you go to uh, Acts chapter 11. You go to, uh, I mean, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You go to Acts chapter 5. Uh, that, that section in Acts. And, I, love, I wish sometime I wish we were back in the book of Acts because I like to teach that lesson. You know, Acts chapter 5. Uh, um, is it Acts chapter 5? I said Acts chapter 5. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 5. That's the chapter I'm thinking about. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, no, Acts chapter 5 is Ananias and Sapphira. Open public, lying in front of the whole church, trying to be something. Wow. And what happens to them? You know, game over. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is, 11 is the Lord's Supper, chapter 5. I got my, my references. Chapter 5 is uh, um, the guy who was sleeping with his mother. By the way, by the way, God's, you want to talk about God's grace? That guy, that guy, Paul said, you should be ashamed of that. That guy should not be a member of the, that church. You need to put him out. They put him out. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Guess what happened? 
God's grace, when he got right, guess what Paul said? Bring him back. See, that's really where God's grace enters in. It doesn't, it doesn't ignore our sin. It doesn't overlook our sin. He punishes for us and he says, get it right. That guy, that's a great story. Read those two chapters, by the way. First uh, Corinthians chapter five and then read second Corinthians chapter two and you'll see the correlation where the first time I wrote you, I had to hurt you. I had to say, you're doing wrong. You better fix this. You need to take care of this. And they did. And that guy was put out. And that guy, because the church took such stern measures, I think, it doesn't say this in Scripture, but it obviously broke his heart. He repented. And Paul says, now, bring him back. You see, that's what God's grace is, right? God's grace doesn't ignore it. God's grace deals with it. Amen? Okay, so uh, number one, uh, it can be physical death. Number two, it can be, uh, I mean, number two, it can be physical death. Number one, it can be chastisement. Number three, you can be taken out of a service and become a castaway. Let me ask you a question. Uh, anybody, anybody in here know of any uh, uh, pastor, uh, preacher, Bible teacher who became a castaway? I mean, immediately names come to your mind, right? Lost the testimony. That's what happens. I, I, I was looking up this morning. Where, where I wrote it on my notes somewhere. I was looking that up this morning. Uh, the actual meaning of the word castaway. Uh, there's several meanings, but it can mean unapproved. It can mean rejected. But the, the real meaning is to be set aside and of no longer value. Ooh. That was Paul's fear. Now, think about this. That was Paul's fear in his own life. That his testimony would get him to the point where God no longer wanted to, needed, could use him. It's my testimony. I, I, I terrify about that. I, I am thankful. I am thankful that things stay in my head and aren't shown publicly. If everything I ever ran through my brain came out, oh, I'd be a castaway. You people would throw me out so fast. Now, don't get too smiley down there and say, well, I can't believe you're like that. Hey, you're like that too. But there, there, there are different levels here. So understand, that chastisement that comes, that punishment that comes, you cannot continue without one of those things happening. Uh, keep reading, I'm going to run out of time here. Uh, there are many believers who have to carry the scars of their mistakes and sins until death relieves them, Right? Sometimes, it's, uh, sometimes those scars are in a family. Sometimes those scars are in a marriage. Sometimes they're in deep family relationships, something that happened. You know, something that happened in the family way back here. It's been addressed. It's been taken care of. It's been, but it, it's still there, right? And it still hurts relationships, right? You, you know that happens? Sometimes it's financial stuff. Uh, sometimes it's physical stuff. I don't, I don't know what form of chastisement God will choose for you, but I have found this to be true. He chooses the kind that's going to be the most effective. What may be effective to you is not so effective to me. My kids are growing up, you know, as I got older, I had to, the spanking thing lasted till, I'd say, what, about 12 years old, maybe, not even, I don't even know if they went that far. You know, at, they get to be 12, and you got a 12-year-old girl, I don't know, I, that didn't seem right. So I had to be a little more creative. What is it she really likes? What is it she really wants? Well, you can't have that anymore. And you can't do that anymore. You know? Some of you creative parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? You have to think that through. Well, I think God does the same thing to us. Wherever you are, what it is, you need to understand that. 
I, I, I think like this. Can I, can I give you a good example? I have fairly good relationship with my grandchildren. Love my grandchildren. Everybody, how many of you love your grandchildren? How many of you say, I can't, I love to be with them? Amen? Isn't that fun? You got a good relationship. I hang out with my grandkids. I'm not ashamed of it. I love it. As long as they will like me and hang out with me, I'm ready for it. Right? I, and, and I want, I, that, here's my, my thinking. If I mess my life up, if I get into a known sin and I continue willfully in known sin, you know what I hope God never takes from me? You say, your money. Eh. Know that relationship with my wife, my children, my grandchildren. That, oh, I don't want to damage that. And I know a lot of people who've lost that. How do you fix that? Well, you better get right with it. See, it's not, it's not always, it's a lot of people think, well, if I do that, I'm going to be sick or I'm going to have, a, and that's part of it, I, I agree. But sometimes I think there's things worse than being sick. I've been sick before. I've been so sick that I'm sitting there asking God, did I do something? <laughs> you ever do that? What is it? I'm searching my brain. What have I done to deserve this? Uh, my second round with COVID, that was, uh, I was kind of thinking that. Okay, two times, really? What, what, sometimes it's just sickness, but uh, understand that. Uh, go, keep going. So they carry the scars. The Bible is also clear that physical sickness and death result from unconfessed known sin. But the most tragic of all those are those, uh, are those who reach a place where God ceases to deal with them and leaves them alone until the judgment seat of Christ. Do you know there, comes, there can come a point, and I thank God this has not happened to me, and I hope it never happens to you. As bad as it is, I'm trying to say this in the right way, as bad as it is for the Holy Spirit's conviction, I don't like the Holy Spirit's conviction. I don't like the guilt and the shame, Right? But in a weird way, I'm very thankful for it. Does that make sense? I don't, I, I don't like it, but I'm thankful for it. I don't know what would happen if God stopped putting me under conviction. I think I'd destroy myself. Amen? Uh, I know a lot of people who think they need counseling when really all they need is confession. Confess your sin and get right. That would change your entire life. Amen? Been there? Okay, so understand, we look at this and you go right immediately, a lot of people look at it and say, immediately go to the death thing and you think, you're saying, oh, Brother Morris, you're saying God will kill you. Well, that's a possibility. But I don't know that that's the first go-to, right? That wasn't my first go-to with my kids. Both of them are still living. There were a lot of other go-tos before I got up to some serious stuff, right? Understand that. Some of you may be struggling with some things that you don't have to struggle with if you just get right with God. I, I just want you to understand that that's what he's talking about here. Uh, uh, go back down to the next paragraph all, on the bottom. Hebrews chapter 6 and 10. Uh, now let's, let's move ahead. I'm, I'm going to move. Jump ahead. Jump ahead. Jump ahead. Everybody jump. Everybody ready to jump? Jump to the next page. Go to, go to the top of the next page. You can read all this on your own, but I, I want to, there's some things I want to emphasize. Between Hebrews 6 and 10, we have three chapters, 7, 8, and 9, right? We give the most complete, exhaustive picture, which give the most complete, exhaustive picture of Jesus Christ, our interceding high priest, right? We talked about that and how everything in the tabernacle points to Christ and who he is and all that. Okay, he says all that. He makes this comparison of the Old, law, the old Testament law and New Testament grace. He talks about how difficult it was in the Old Testament law and how wonderful it is in grace, right? And then, right after he says that, he says to you as a Christian, 
Why would you live in sin when God has been so good and gracious to you? Okay? So you, it, all this building up to this is a point for you, okay? And he makes this point to the, Hebrew, uh, the Hebrews of his day. Uh, our only assurance of not becoming guilty of the error of Hebrews 6 and 10 is to veil ourselves of the ministry of the high priest in heaven by repentance and confession of sin and then to trust him to keep us from falling. There is no excuse for any believer falling to the category of castaways since we have an adequate high priest in heaven set forth in chapters 7, 8, and 9 of Hebrews. It's a failure to avail ourselves of his ministry that causes us to fall. Uh, yeah, because we don't do that. He's our, he's our protection, as the author of Hebrews says. We have a high priest who is there for three reasons. Number one, to forgive and cleanse us when we have failed or to obtain mercy. Amen? You understand that. All of us understand that. If you, if you do not, if you sin, you have a high priest that is willing to forgive you. Praise God for that. Amen. Uh, number two, he's there to forgive us, from, uh, to keep us from falling again and to give us grace in the time of need. Now, think of it this way. Here's where you, uh, there's a point here I want to try to make. And I, find, I, I clicked this off in my little brain this morning. We emphasize, we overemphasize grace after sin. We should be emphasizing grace before sin. God's grace and God's strength should be keeping you from sin. It's not just there after you sin. Would you agree we look at it that way more? We look at the other side of the coin. We look back here and say, oh, I messed up. Oh, God's grace. I mean, that is true. God's grace and His forgiveness is there. But His grace is also here to be a preventative. You should look at that and say, look how good God is. It's not, somebody said something this, uh, to me last week, something to the effect, it's not that we should, so much the Bible teaches how much we should hate sin, it's, the Bible teaches how much we should love God. If we love Him like we ha should, and we understand His grace as it is, that will prevent us. Yes, His grace will forgive us, but shouldn't we be living here more than there? Amen? I don't want to be a Christian who always fails and has to go for the grace of God. I, I do it all the time. I have to admit I do. Uh, I, but I'd rather be on this side and say, by the grace of God, I didn't. Then because of my sin, I did. And by the grace of God, I'm forgiven. Does that make sense to you? I think sometimes we look so much at this, we forget about this. That's what the grace of God should mean to us. We should look, and when, he gets, when you get to verse 28 uh, in the same path, he talks about that. Verse 28, he, despise, who, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Uh, what happened? If you committed adultery under the law of Moses, what happened? What was the, what was the penalty? You're dead. If you um, were disrespectful and dishonored your parents, what was the penalty? Right. Man, I... <laughs> That's some pretty strict stuff, right? Today, we disappoint God, we displease God, and His grace is there for us. And yet, we, we look at them and say, look how bad they were. Look how bad we are. Look what we have, and we still look Him in the face and sin. Not I can live like I want to, no. No. I can live like he wants me to. He gives me the grace and strength to do that. Yeah, that side's over there. 
I didn't look forward to that. That's where a lot of people are looking. I think sometimes we need to go back and start looking at this side and say, God, prevent me from get, ever getting to there. Amen? Let's pray. Dearly Father, Lord, we are thankful for your grace and for your strength. We're thankful that we do have a high priest who can not only forgive our sins, but in the first place can bring us to him because of his grace and mercy. Help us to remember that your grace not only forgives us for sin, but your grace should be a preventative from sin. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.